0: This is Something to Gnaw On, a short podcast for the Christian with a short attention span or just short on time. Designed to give you something to mentally or spiritually gnaw on throughout your day. A Bible study in bite-sized form, if you will. And I'm your host, Nate Vainio. Today's episode is The Dump Truck Story, a quick lesson in motives and consequence. He was born in Finland, and if I remember correctly, And at the tender age of six, he and his brother, who was about nine, were put on a ship and sent ahead of his dad and mom to other family members who were already on a homestead in Canada. About three years later, his parents finally made it across. I can't fathom how two boys that young make it across the Atlantic on a ship by themselves. But it was a different era, around 1930 if I'm not mistaken. My aunt relayed a story once that on the ship, they got caught on the deck in a storm, and a deckhand had to work his way out onto the deck, moving between wave swells to retrieve them from the danger. The rest of his story, as far as today's account is concerned, happens pretty quickly. He never made it past the 8th grade, but managed to find himself on a crew that built the Alcan Highway, and then he spent some time logging in the Vancouver region. At an evangelistic meeting, he met the evangelist's daughter. The only problem... She was an American citizen and lived in Seattle. But after meeting about five times, they married. I've always joked about the fact that Grandpa became an American citizen the old-fashioned way, by marriage. They settled in the Seattle area, and when I was about six, he and Grandma had taken a job with their church to be a manager at a camp called Camp Baraka. There was an element of being involved in ministry in that it was a church camp, but the lion's share of his work was the physical labor of keeping the place running. I always enjoyed visiting them out there. There were bike trails all over the 100 plus acre complex and Covington Creek ran right through it. I have a picture of my brother and I sitting in the bucket of an equipment yellow case backhoe while grandpa gave us a ride through camp. On the one hand, it's pretty cool, but at the same time, it was the most uncomfortable ride one could ever ask for. Imagine a solid steel seat without any suspension being flopped around in the front of a backhoe like that isn't exactly comfortable. Anyhow, frankly, it hurts to think about it, but moving on. If memory serves me correctly, we were both wearing our Christmas gifts that year. I had my Seattle Seahawks Steve Largent number 80 jersey that came down to my mid-thighs like a long skirt, and Jim was wearing his blue jacket with a patch on one arm. It was a finger pointing to whomever was standing on that side of him, and it read, I'm with Stupid. One day we were staying with Grandma and Grandpa, and Grandpa came home for lunch in a dump truck. It was an old truck, and it was filled with rock that had a lip that protruded over the cab to protect the cab from the debris, an extension, if you will, of the dump bed. Now, hang on to that picture right there for a moment. After lunch, my brother Jim and I jumped up in the dump bed to take a ride. Grandpa got in, and Jim wasn't sure if he saw us, so I was instructed, as so many younger brothers are by their older brothers, to ask for permission from Grandpa. So I leaned over the side by the open window, muttered a few words that I hate to say, but in retrospect, I'm pretty sure he didn't hear. Then I turned around, settled in for a ride across the camp, and gave my brother the big thumbs up. At this point, I'll remind you that I was about six, about the same age Grandpa was when he got stuck on the deck of the ship in the storm. I heard a pastor once say, when you have a boy, you have half a man, and when you have two boys, you have about a quarter of a man. And I'm pretty sure the math continues to go downhill after that, but the point was that we hadn't thought through the consequence of our actions completely. A few minutes later, Grandpa pulled up to the dump site, threw it in reverse, and started lifting the dump bed. It would be a slight understatement to say that panic ensued. Jim and I started scrambling and yelling, but Grandpa couldn't hear us over the howl of the motor. As the load began to shift, we would try to keep our feet moving to stay in place. Eventually, we jumped up on the lip that, when in the down position, covered the cab of the truck. But now, all we could do was hang on to the front edge of it for dear life. Finally, the dump came to a stop at about a 45-degree angle, with me and Jim hanging on for dear life and yelling. And finally, Grandpa got out to look. Now, I will say that I got my fair share of spankings when I was a kid, and I deserved every one of them. And I'm sure I deserved one for this debacle as well, but honestly, I don't ever remember getting to any trouble. Maybe it had something to do with the mortified look on Grandpa's face, that somehow, To justify discipline, he'd have to admit that he nearly buried his two grandkids. Maybe he took it pretty hard. And maybe just letting the matter go was easier. I can't imagine what it would have looked like from his perspective. A lazy drive across camp, backing up to the dump zone without incident, listening to Christian radio, lifting the bucket. And the simple, perfunctory task of getting out to make sure and certain that the dump bed was in fact empty, only to look up and see a number eighty Steve Largent jersey stretched out as if he's catching a pass from Jim Zorn, as he's hanging on to the front lip of the headache rack, accompanied by some young punk with a "I'm with stupid" patch on his arm, that'll leave a mark on your mind, especially when you realize that these two punks are your grandkids. I wonder if he had any kind of flashback. To his days with his brother crossing the atlantic and having to be rescued from the deck of the ship in a storm while they hung on for dear life so many verses from proverbs come to mind about fools and simpletons and the refusal to listen to wisdom and correction if i was ever the poster child for some of the stupidity illustrated in that book this would certainly be one of the top adventures Here's a few verses to look at quickly. take some time after the podcast to look at them deep more deeply proverbs twenty two three a prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences proverbs twenty one sixteen the person who strays from common sense will end up in the company of the dead proverbs nineteen three people ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then are angry at the Lord. And Proverbs 13.1, A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. In this situation, I was the fool because I refused to ask permission, because I believed the answer would not be what I wanted. And I figured out that I didn't have to refuse to listen to correction if I didn't ask the question in the first place. This is such a human nature issue. Ever hear someone use the phrase, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission? Pretty wise sounding words for a fool. And in case you're wondering, if you go to Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's this time of the year, you hear that a lot at the gun counter when guys are getting their new purchases for the season. Okay, I'm getting off track a bit, but back to the script. There are a couple of directions I thought about taking this story, and frankly, I'm just running out of time. But let me wrap up this thought with another weird story. I recently had a situation arise, and I thought it'd be nice to talk to someone about some life issues, to have a human-sounding board to bounce ideas off, if you will. And I found myself rejecting one particular name it didn't make sense. He knew me well. He loves the Lord. He's a straight shooter when it comes to the topic I wanted to delve into. So why would I want to disqualify him from being a godly sounding board? Once I began asking these questions, the answer came quickly. The reality is that I'm pretty sure I know what he would say, and it isn't what I really wanted to hear. My flesh still wants to seek out people I can manipulate into answering questions a certain way so I can get what I want. And there's no manipulating this guy. It's been 40-some years since I led my brother to believe that I asked permission to ride in the dump truck. And it's amazing how often I can still see the flesh trying to avoid things like this, things like accountability and submission to the Lord, to wisdom and to authority. I know I'm not the only individual in the world that struggles with this. It's most certainly the opposite, actually. That is to say, we all struggle on some level or another with this. In the New Testament, Paul refers to it as the sinful nature or the flesh, and it must be crucified. John refers to it as the pride of life in 1 John 2.16. But as I struggle again with this, the arrogance and the ignorance of this situation hit me squarely between the proverbial eyes. People think their choices and their struggles with temptation revolve around themselves, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. The idea that the sin is in their own head or their own heart and has little to no effect on those around them is flat out wrong. Try telling that to my brother. He enjoyed the ride in the back of the dump truck on a reasonable presumption that I had both asked for and received permission from my grandpa. Trusting his brother could have cost him severely, potentially his life. My sin, my choice, put him in danger. I got what I wanted, but hanging from the dump truck headache rack, we were both paying the price for my sin, for my choice. And he was coming to terms with the prophetic, I'm with stupid patch on his coat becoming a reality. He was, in fact, was stupid, with foolish, with a simpleton. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13.11, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Paul goes on to write that we, even as adults, see things imperfectly, which should highlight and underscore and embolden our resolve to seek wisdom and the Lord in everything that we do. We don't see it all. We can't see it all. And no matter what we think we are going to hear when we ask, understand that a no is just as much of a blessing as a yes, except that it usually has a protective benefit to it. God's looking out for you. And don't assume that you know what the Lord's going to say. My grandpa could have said yes, just as easily as I feared he'd say no. This has been something to gnaw on, and the goal of the podcast is to have listeners come to know God in a deeply personal and experiential way. To accomplish that, I hope that you will dig into the Scriptures in this story further and gnaw on both its deep truth and its application in your life. You can find the references in the transcript and the show notes. And if you haven't taken an opportunity to rate and post a review of the podcast in your particular listening platform, please take a moment to do so. Greatly appreciated. Lastly, due to some occupational obligations next week, I may not have an episode ready, which won't matter to those of you who are listening in the weeks and months ahead, but to those of you who dig into this first thing Friday morning, I first wanna say thank you for your support but also add that I will be looking to upload a throwback episode for you. Once every two years, my employer throws a national truck show here in Joplin, and it's a major undertaking. So I'm, just to be very blunt, not planning on having an episode ready. Uh, I'm pretty much flying by the seat of my pants week to week right now. And uh, so I appreciate your patience. Anyhow, until next week, God bless you guys.